Today's episode is brought to you by the Evangelical Christian Credit Union. What you believe matters and what you value matters, so where you bank should matter too. At ECCU, every dollar you spend or save is supporting ministry like loans to churches and banking services for missionaries. Ask yourself, what does your current bank do with your money? If you don't know the answer or you don't like the answer, it might be time for a change. Visit www.eccu.org to see ECCU's competitive checking, savings, credit cards, and auto loans. That's eccu.org. Or call 1-800-634-ECCU to learn more about how your money can build ministry. almost like a Muslim Christianity where women have value everywhere but the house of God. You know, so they, they're kind of redeemed but not fully redeemed. Adam is fully redeemed, even if only partially redeemed. And so what you see is this gender competition going on. This is Charisma Connection. I'm Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network, and I'm so excited to welcome back to our studio someone that we interviewed a few months ago. Her name's Lisa Bevere. You know her, you love her. God bless you, Lisa. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's an honor. I had so much fun last time. Well, Lisa, I want to talk to you about the new book that's just out now, and uh, you've titled it Without Rival, and I can't wait to hear you speak to me about it. I've seen an advanced copy of it. I haven't read it. Uh, I want to hear you talk about it so I can take it home and read it and have my wife read it. So tell me Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Well, okay, so I need to kind of tell you how this this whole concept of without rival even came to pass. I had just traveled home from South Korea, and I was actually finishing up the manuscript, Girls with Swords, and I, actually, I, I fell asleep at my, my laptop. Because I woke up, and it was eight pages of the letter T. I was like, okay, <laughs> I am going to go lay down. I am mm-hmm. obviously too tired to be doing anything with this. And so I was laying down on my bed, just falling asleep, when I heard the Holy Spirit say something, Dr. Green, that riveted me so much. Tell us. I, I, I woke up, and I was like, what in the world? That's blasphemy. This is what I heard. I heard the Holy Spirit say, I do not love my children equally. Mm. I sat up and I said, wait, 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 you have to love us all the same. And I heard back, I don't. He said, same would mean that one of you were replaceable or interchangeable. And he said, I assure you, none of my children are. He said, equal would mean that my love could be measured. And he said, my love is immeasurable. He yes. said, I do not love my children equally. I love them uniquely. And when he said that to me, he knows how much I love words. I jumped off my bed. I went running back to my laptop, and I looked up the word unique. And a lot of people feel you know, very confident that they understand the meaning of the word unique. First-tier definition would be sole representative of. 
There is no one that represents God the way you represent God. There is nobody that can express his love to the earth, and there's nobody that he loves, you know, kind of he like loves us and shows off to the earth. Each of us have that unique thing. Second tier was prototypes. This is not a mass production. Christians aren't supposed to all look the same and be mass produced. We're supposed to have unique expressions. We're supposed to have unique giftings, talents, functions, hands, fingers, feet, you know, livers, whatever it is. But the third one was what really stood out to me. It was without rival. And when I saw that term, without rival, I had such an awareness that there is no competition in God's eyes for his love for us. You know, I have four sons, and now I have four grandkids. But here's the thing. I don't love one of my sons more than the other. I remember when I was pregnant with my second son, near the end of my pregnancy, Dr. Reen, I began to panic because I loved my firstborn so much that I thought, wait a minute, I'm going to have to take this mommy pile of love, cut it in half, and share it with Addison and a stranger baby. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> stranger but when I baby. Had, well, because, you know, I'd only seen the sonograms. It looked right. like an alien. But when I had my second son, that's not what happened. Mm-mm. My love wasn't divided. It was multiplied. Mm-hmm. And the things I love about Addison are very different than the things I love about Austin. And God's love is infinite, immeasurable, and uniquely given to each and every one of his children. And yet, we are trying to compete and identify and compare ourselves with one another. And God's like, I'm sorry, I need you to be who I created you to be. Not what this culture says about you, not what you think you should be. If we worship God, he reveals us. Yes. Lisa, tell me, what what do you think is going on with young women today that my uh, being a college professor for so long, right at the end of my career, what what I'm noticed have noticed, and I still notice, is that young women have such a low self image, and it seems to be across socioeconomic strata. It they've got image issues. What what's going on? Well, I mean, I can give you the theological answer, mm-hmm. and I can give you the practical answer. The truth both? is, okay, so. Uh, the practical answer is that basically women compare with one another and measure themselves by one another. Yep. And there is this image that is constantly fighting them that says you will never be enough. You will never be thin enough, tall enough, curvy enough, blonde enough, white enough, black enough, whatever it is, it always taunts women and says you will never be enough. And so they strive to bow down to this image to become what they think will earn them value. But no matter how many times they conform or change or bleach their hair or darken their hair or lose weight or gain, whatever, this image will not be pleased. And so they are demeaning themselves. And I I will say that I believe some of the faults, and I don't know if you're going to agree with this, but I will say that I believe some of the fault lands on the lap of the church. When oh, the church does not... In, pardon, you would uh, agree? Oh, absolutely. I can see it. Yeah. When the church tells the daughters 
that they can find their value anywhere and everywhere except for in the house of God, Mm -hmm. then there is a problem. Yes. Somehow, I don't know how this translates, but somehow men have really almost embraced, I heard a pastor say this weekend, almost like a Muslim Christianity where Mm -hmm. women have value everywhere but the house of God. Hmm. You know, so they're kind of redeemed but not fully redeemed. Mm-hmm. Adam is fully redeemed, even if only partially redeemed. And so what you see is this gender competition going on. Uh, you hear comments from major, major church planning leaders say things like women are gullible, they're unfit, they're easily deceived, they take the words of Paul and distort their application. Right. And, you know, Dr. Green, I've been a Christian now since I was 21, and I'm 56 now. And here's the thing. I have been unfit, and I have been gullible, and I have been deceived in my past, all of those things, just as any man has as well. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Christ makes me fit. And if I am not wise, then the Word of God gives me discerning so I can rightly divide, and the Holy Spirit gives me wisdom. And so I think for a long time, I was content to let those labels be spoken over me. But once I started to see it contained the daughters, once I saw that that would be a sign to my granddaughters, I was like, if I don't want it spoken over them, I cannot allow it to be spoken over me. Preach that. Yeah, it's the truth. Yeah, it's the truth. And And so we have to get back to the place where we need to understand that when we do not walk in the unrivaled, beautiful dynamics that God created with our gender, if we leave an open chasm for the world to begin to redefine gender because we haven't valued it, then we have actually a lot to answer for. And um, that's kind of a dynamic, but I would love to share a scripture because you're saying, you know, what, what's going on? You know, what is going on? And mm-hmm. when share. I read the book of Romans, yes, in verse 26 and 27, it says, worse followed, and I'm reading out of the message paraphrase because I want to talk to millennials because this is who really is hitting the fallout of this. Worse followed, refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women, and men didn't know how to be men. When we refuse to know God, we forget what it means to be a woman, and we forget what it means to be a man. And we have put some kind of sociological experiment on teenagers and middle schools and preteeners, and we are encouraging them to self-identify. You know, if somebody had asked me to self-identify when I was 13, I probably would have said I was a unicorn. I would have felt so uncomfortable, so awkward. You don't ask people who are going from girl to woman or boy to man to Mm self-identify. But when we don't worship God, when we don't worship God, then we lose our way. And we have traded the image of the true God for a fake God. 
a God that we have made, a God that we believe will call our evil good while we call good evil. We're visiting with Lisa Bevere, and I'm stunned of what I'm hearing. It's so powerful. And I wish you could preach this in every pulpit across the country. It would help women so much. But instead, we have your great book, and they can find you at lisabevere.com. She spells Bevere, B-E-V-E-R-E, lisabevere.com. You know her. You know John. They've written some great books. Without rival, and I heard you mention millennials, and my heart really goes out to them because I've taught them for so many years. I've watched them grow. I taught a lot of Gen Xers. I think I, I taught Generation A, too, but that's another story. <laughs> this, this group, ma'am, they need you. They need this message. What will they get? What's their takeaway from Rival? What will, how will it change and impact them? Well, the first section is going to position them. So right. the first section is going to talk to them about, A, an identity without Rival, B, a God without Rival. You know, our God is one. That doesn't mean he took first place. That means he is all. He is all there is. Mm-hmm. All that we could ever want, all that we could ever need is in him. And when you have a revelation of God, then he reveals you. I love the interchange between Peter and Jesus. Because what we find going on is when Peter had a revelation, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus looked back at Peter and said, all right, Simon, because that was his name, Simon, at the time. Yes. He said, I'm going to tell you what you really are. Yes. You're not Simon. You're Peter. Yes. And so a lot of us need to get into the presence of the God without rival, and then he's going to call us by name, not by maybe our past name, not by Jacob the deceiver, but maybe by Israel, or maybe by, you know, I don't know where they are, but no longer a Sarai, they're going to be a Sarah. And then the, thir- the third part of the first section is talking about a promise without rival. So we have an identity, a God, and a promise without rival. And then the midsection of the book, Dr. Green, unpacks the purpose of a rival. Because, see, the anointing will set us apart. Yes. But a rival will get us ready for what God has for us. When I say you're a, a daughter without rival, that's talking about your relationship with God. But there are very real rivalries that are going to rise up in your life, and they're either going to bring out the best in you or they're going to best you. And so I want people to be able to navigate some of these rivalries, things like gender rivalries, things mm-hmm. like the rivalry of fear and love, mm-hmm. things like what it looks like when you know a friend that you think was a true friend becomes an enemy, a frenemy. What goes on with that? What happens in our heart? Because the truth is that both Goliath and Saul were rivals for David. One positioned him and one refined him. And then in the last section, I talk about a life without rival. And, you know, I'm just going to say I wrote this book over a year ago, and I talked about martyrdom in my book. Yes. I talked about the crown of life. I talked about the rivalry between the world and God. We have to realize that the Bible is very clear that friendship with the world, those who make themselves a friend with the world, not a friend to, a friend with the world, they make themselves an enemy of God. And friendship with the world is defined by three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And if we want to translate that so it doesn't just sound like King James, the first one is wanting your own way. The second one is wanting everything you see. 
And the third one is wanting to appear important in the eyes of other people. And that is where our culture is right now. Mm-hmm. You and I are called to feed the hungry and the thirsty, not hunger and thirst for what the world hungers and thirsts for. We are called to clothe the naked in the world, not get naked with the world. Right. We are called along bedside to the world, not to be in bed with the world. So we have had too much crossover with compromise. We need to have crossover, but when they find us on the other side, it cannot be with compromise. That's right. What a great thought. I know you've helped so many people. I want to mention your website again, lisabevere.com. The book is there. You can also see it on amazon.com or probably your favorite bookstore down the street. You can go find it. The most important thing is that you'll find it, buy a couple of copies, give them away, help women that you know in their life to understand this important issue of without rival. Lisa, any last thoughts for anyone who might be listening, any word, any encouragement you can offer as we end this podcast? You know, I, I truly believe that you could have been chosen at any time, any time in all of history. And yet God hand chose you for this moment in history. And I know that as you create some sacred space in your life, sacred space would be going into the presence of God and just saying, God, I want to give you capacity. I want to give you full measure. I want to be all in. As you create that sacred space in your life, that longing that you have for something more than what you've seen is going to be satisfied, and God is going to pour out His Spirit. And it's not going to be like what we've seen. It is going to be so profound and so evident. And, you know, so many times we think about what we've seen in the past, and God is not causing people to fall out in the Spirit. He's actually pouring out His Spirit to yes. stand people on their feet and fill their mouth and yes. encourage their heart. The outpouring of God that is heading your way is an outpouring of courage, strength, and boldness. Amen. So receive it. I receive that on behalf of all of our listeners, all who will listen to it now and throughout the next several months as they download this podcast. We've been blessed to have Lisa Bevere with us today by phone from her home, and we're just so thankful for you, and God bless your ministry and all that you do, ma'am. Thank you, Dr. Green. We've been visiting with Lisa Bevere on the Charisma Connection. I'm Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. God bless you all. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.